Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 184 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science. And comedy and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. He's Gregoire. And you might be wondering why I'm being economical. Gregoire, I love good sci-fi. I'm very passionate about what separates it from space opera. I will happily watch 12 dull episodes of The X-Files or Doctor Who in order to enjoy one really amazing one. But there is one part of sci-fi that I somehow missed all of these years, but I have finally filled that hole in my pop culture knowledge. I have watched Star Trek The Next Generation. You've fallen down a massive rabbit hole, Dan. It's been exciting to watch your journey. Because I was thinking, I watched all these when I was a kid slash young man. And I thought everyone had. And I thought you had. And everyone talked to you about it. And now you're like, oh my goodness, there's this guy called Riker. And there's a guy called Picard. And they do cool stuff. And there's Beverly Crusher. And there's all these like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's, it's been exciting to yeah. watch this journey. I was pretty, I was pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> and weirdly enough, every time I talk to someone, they were like, oh, the first two, it gets better after the first two seasons. I'm like, I already love the first two seasons. What are you talking about? Whatever you do, can I just say, Dan, whatever you do, that, that, that um, uh, the, the man who plays Wesley Crusher is a good fella. Don't be nasty to Wesley Crusher, okay? It's not on anymore. We don't, we don't do that anymore. I, I've worked that out. What I couldn't work out in that first season is like, well, I, re- I know all these people from pop culture references and stuff. How have I not realised that Tasha Yar is like this crucial character in, the, in Star Trek Next Generation? Yes. Oh, yeah. you, you should definitely get. You should definitely emotionally hang your hat on Tasha Yar. Yeah. You should. Yeah. She is a f- pivotal character for the rest of Next Generation, and you should. Yeah. You should put all your emotional energy into her. Her rise to I, look. I shouldn't give any spoilers, but her rise to captaincy is is amazing, and you should definitely definitely go there. But what I like, Greg, like, is it's so utopian. They have nice, clean new ships. Mm-hmm. There's no rust. There's very little steam. <laughs> and very early on, they comment that now they have replicators mm. and everyone on Earth has everything they need. They no longer have currency or a financial system. And I have a lot of questions, mm. Gregoire. Mm. One of these questions, the first one, is why on earth is anyone going to space and lifting life and limb if they're not getting paid? <laughs> In order to answer this question and more, I have reached out to the author of Treconomics, Manu Sadia. Manu, welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better. Uh, I don't know if I'm smart enough, but hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hope, we hope you are, because we're definitely not, so please. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> as long as you can answer my questions. I, I, I must say, Dan, I, I am very gratified that you are finally watching The Next Generation. <laughs> this is, I believe this is a, a, a very important moment in your life. <laughs> and you should enjoy it to the fullest. Oh, interesting. So the, the author of an economics book about Star Trek actually feels strongly about Star Trek. That's a, that's a good sign. <laughs> I must admit, especially in The Next Generation and then Deep Space Nine, I think, which really delves even deeper into these questions, uh, the questions that are raised in The Next Generation, I, I feel these are pinnacle of writing and thinking it's so different from what you usually get in space operas or in the genre on on TV, you know. Even it's so different from the first Star Trek series. And I don't think it will ever be repeated again because mm-hmm. of the circumstances in which, especially Next Generation, was made. Conditions of production really matter. And in that specific case, Gene Roddenberry he got free reign to do whatever it is that he wanted to do because... They sold the show directly to TV stations without going through a network. Mm. It's called syndication, first-run syndication. So what they would do is they would say, if you want to put on reruns of the first Star Trek series, you also have to buy the next generation. And they would go like to every little TV station in the U.S. without the input and and the guardrails of the major networks at the time, which were three, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS. They were free to do whatever they wanted. So the the economics of the time 
led to a show where they could talk about the economics of their time. I must say, this was not the usual way to put on the show at the time. So this mm. was like an innovation. It was a business innovation, which mm. was you create a very niche program, you own it, you don't use the network to broadcast it, you just go straight to all the little TV stations all across the country. And what they would do is they would say, you can keep the ad revenue on the old Star Trek and all the ad revenue on Next Generation is ours. Mm. Okay. And I don't want to talk about ad revenue. <laughs> that, that, that I want to talk about the exact opposite of ad revenue. It's important because <laughs> it's an industry. Mm. The TV industry is, a, is, is a, above all, extremely capitalistic. And so you have to make money to actually put on 24 shows every season and by the way you can see that sometimes they run out of money and they make those so-called bottle shows <laughs> where everything is like in the same on the same sets and <laughs> because they, they they can do exteriors and special effects the nature of what you put out is really defined by your audience and by your market and mm. here what they found is there was actually a market for this type of very out there almost you know socialistic science fiction on tv mm. And they knew there was a market because since the 1970s, they were running these conventions every year and traveling around the world. And they knew that there was a real fan base for it. So it was niche television before there was niche television on cable and all that. It led to this thing where you, you have all these science fiction shows on mm. Netflix and whatnot mm. that appeal to a very narrow focused segment of the population. But they will watch them all and then they will buy them and then they will buy the DVD and then they will buy the Blu-ray and then they will buy the Blu-ray special edition. <laughs> and then it's this sort of a self-propelling and self-maintaining market. It's fandom. And fandom is at its heart, repeat customers. So <laughs> Paramount Plus is banking on that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and mm. exactly, they're servicing the fandom. That's the context of Next Generation. Remember, this is socialist science fiction on TV in 1987. <laughs> like, Reagan, the Cold War is not over. Mm. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy that it went through. And, like, obviously, the TV stations were not watching or were not, you know, giving it. Like, they were like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, we're making money. We don't care. So. There's I know Dan's chomping at the bit to get to scarcity economics and, and all that sort of stuff. I but, know, but, but, but I'm so, please, Dan, sorry. I, I'm so, I, again, the Star Trek fans are passionate about yeah, the show, it, it seems. I, I think it's an interesting point you make, Manu. It's funny how, like, they talk about zombie movies come out when there's, like, aristocracy in power, and then you get mm -hmm. um, Dracula movies when, when people think that the hoi polloi is in power. You, you kind of show, on you show in fiction the opposite of what's going on. So maybe if you've got this more capitalisty, right-wingy, right centrist mm. kind of governments then you start seeing more idealistic socialist left-wing television and when oh, they but oh, you don't see that often on tv though mm. that's the thing the ideological guardrails are there and mm. what i find interesting and you see it in the show as well and in later seasons of next generation but also in deep space nine for instance this is really a show that is at war with itself a lot of the writers, and I talked to some, like one of my neighbors used to write on Star Trek. And the writers, really, they were not happy about that. There's no money. There's no conflict. What do we do? Because mm. the usual signposts and tricks to write TV are not there. Because these are people who are contented and they mm. have no real interpersonal conflict. So you cannot turn it into a workplace show. Mm. So you have to make it like about dangerous aliens. Mm. Yeah. But, Science know, fiction. Yeah. Con concepts, yeah. new science fiction concept each week. Yeah, That's I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem. So the writers themselves, they hated it. And when you see now in the later shows that they're putting out on Paramount like Plus... Like, like Picard, I'm sorry. I just no, like, like, oh, it's so annoying. Uh, somebody who read my book, you know, <sighs> very funny, was telling me, like, sent me uh, screenshots of Michael Chabon mm. discussing the economics of Star Trek and saying, well, you know, if you've read about the economics of Star Trek, you should read Trekonomics, like, you know, so I'm like, oh, Michael Chabon has read Trekonomics. That's funny. The showrunner, you know. And then he says, yeah, and we decided this is extremely complicated. And we decided we're not going to do that. They, they just, it's so, that was the thing that, I mean, what's, oh, I'm, I'm getting on a rant now. I'm getting on my high horse. One of the most annoying things about Picard, his second command, yeah. she's like down in her luck, living on a trailer, saying she can't make ends meet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You live in a society that's post-scarcity. You have replicators. We're not going to do that. No, no, no. We're and, not and going to do that. 
do and that. she's like on drugs and she's like living and she's like can't get it to work and I'm like no 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 this is Star Trek and she's like how dare you live in a lovely mansion Picard I'm like okay he could be living in a nicer house than you that is possible like a, like a family yeah, inheritances but everything else I'm like there's no way in the Star Trek universe as I understood it which I grew up on which I love that there could be a yeah. woman who lives in the desert in a trailer and has no has no money and no food and, is, and has, yeah, men- but- has mental illness that is not treated but you need to <laughs> to write TV you need Picard to save the galaxy you need uh, conflict right no, no, better like, TV uh, sorry I'm sorry <laughs> no but like you need drama and I don't know if you noticed but there's very little happening on Next Generation it, it's almost like Seinfeld you know it's like <laughs> the minutia of everyday life on the ship mm. and oh yeah there's this star or this gaseous anomaly you know they're like oh yeah sure we'll take care of it it's, it's... but then you get to do things like oh man I'm on a, I'm on a tear now but then you get to do cool <laughs> Things like saying, is this android a human or is, is, is oh, he yeah. not a human? And you get to spend whole episodes just talking to data. I can play the clarinet. I have a cat. I had sexual relations with a woman. I'm wait, now- wait, wait, this is season two. Like, oh, he hasn't oh, gotten oh, there. Sorry, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I, I want you to understand. I've watched all of Next oh, Generation. Okay, oh, phew. Uh, oh. And... And we're halfway through Deep Space Nine. Uh, and Deep Space, Deep Space Nine, Nine is really... And, and Deep Space Nine, where it gets interesting. So, so you have, like, the full utopian in Next Generation. Mm. And then Deep Space Nine, you have, like, these people who are confronted to less advanced societies and the Ferengis mm. and, mm. and less advanced in the sense... Still not Look, socialist. I have a whole section in my questions all about that, which we are definitely not going to get to. Oh, I, I realize. I, I know. I know. <laughs> right. Okay, okay I'll let's step back. focus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dan. I'll step back to you. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I wanted to put in that that you know preface about the conditions of production because I, I think it really matters in the range and in what was possible to say and they could really go full on you know essentially next generation is Isaac Asimov and Herbert Marcuse in one package and they go to the stars and all that but the stars and the aliens don't matter really it's not about Star Trek is not about the stars or about space they use it as a way to advanced other questions and the central question which we will hopefully get to i think the central question is i mean there are two actually what is the meaning of life if work is no longer compulsory mm-hmm. so that's one and and that's philosophically that's very deep and troubling and second under which condition can you have justice and so these are the two central themes of the i mean because essentially and i'm talking about justice because this, in fact, responds to the so-called veil of ignorance theory. This is a an intellectual construct, or it's John Rawls, philosopher, mm. a political philosopher, who wrote this book called The Theory of Justice in 1970. And in it, he said, the best society is the one you would design without knowing what would be your place in that society? <laughs> so under a veil of ignorance, mm. you don't know what will be your place mm. in the society you're designing. You don't know. You cannot have a positional point of view, a positional advent- advantage. Or So a- if you're sitting there going, well, I'll put me at the top and then I work down from there, then you end up in a much yeah. different environment. Exactly. And, and so you, the point of view from which you're speaking, you have to let go of it. And if you let go of your point of view and your entrenched ideological ideas mm. about who deserves what, mm. then the society you will design will necessarily be one that has justice mm. and social justice built in um, and where everybody can flourish. These are like very serious questions. Mm. Star Trek, Next Generation, like they take them head on. And people say, oh, but it's it's not in the episodes. You never hear about it and all that. But in fact, it is. And these the people who wrote on Star Trek are extremely well-read intellectuals who usually get paid much more writing for TV than <laughs> being in academia. These are, these are people who've read a lot and who have thought a lot about this. It's the best way to make a sci-fi show. Yeah, and, and, and they want to make it entertaining as well. You know, so there's the magic of entertainment behind this. But at the heart, it's about a theory of justice and no longer being forced to work. It's the German post-Marxist critique of modern industrial society. When you don't have to work... I mean, essentially, you know, you should fuck all day. Like, there's no other, you know, what's the point? No, but no, I mean... Actually, that brings me to my first question. <laughs> like, 
Uh, why not? What would it be like to work for Starfleet? And why would anyone turn up to their shift if they don't get like a big, fat, juicy space paycheck at the end of each week? Because they're out there to better themselves and to become the best at who they are. And so it's it's about self, not self-improvement, because this is a horrible term that comes from horrible people. <laughs> but it's it's about realizing your own essence, almost like, you know, in an Aristotelian way, like what is the good life? The good life is being who you are to the fullest you can, and then you die. You know, it's an existential position. You are on that ship and, you know, you're cleaning up the conduits or something. You're going to do the best job you can because that is what you wanted and that is what you feel is... Your place in the world. And then, you know, you can move on. You don't see a, mo lo a lot of that. But what happens to the people who move on? Because, you know, they don't spend their whole lives in Starfleet. Like, mm. they go on to do other things. And exactly like in Marx, they can be fishermen and they can mm. chop woods, uh, build stuff and whatnot. And then at night, they can do philosophy. You can have multiple professions. You have Starfleet, but then it's not your whole life. Then you move on and you do other things. It's a You end up with a bunch of polymaths who all exactly. have a crack at Starfleet for a couple of years. Starfleet does recruit the the best of the best but it's still if you're an average not necessarily by the way i think starfleet actually recruits the sociopath in there because like <laughs> these are the people who really want to do stuff and yeah. who really want to be out there and really want to take risks you live in a society where there's no need to take risks yeah, okay. and you can spend your life essentially you know sitting on the beach watching the waves and surfing why would you go meet aliens and all that stuff Screw still, that. so the best of the best, gonna... best of the best sociopath you still have all the sociopaths you're the best type of sociopath <laughs> right but i mean it's you know these are the people who don't fit <laughs> like what you're watching in next generation it's the crew it's the people who need to move and who yeah. are restless they all have adhd it's the all adult adhd and they're just out there yeah. it's the, the the enterprise is like their medication and and by the way it's much better to have these people on ships being a sort of fire department than having them in the midst of a society that is full and contented because you would have a lot of people who oh are my, unhappy oh my i've never thought of it that way so what you do is you go oh all these troublemakers we're going to put them on ships yeah. and send them to the alpha quadrant the delta quadrant as far and away as possible great things. Yeah, so, oh yes so the enterprise is a space asylum <laughs> yeah, well, i mean yeah, a, in, in, in that context it can, but i mean you know like the logic of it sort of makes sense i love the idea also because what you're doing is you go up against these other alien races especially aggressive ones or ones that are against yeah. you and you're like hey if you mess with us we're going to send these lunatics who are very well trained highly intrinsically motivated and armed super to, intelligent and armed yes, and, to uh, the teeth <laughs> Yes, And by the way, they're going to solve your issues real fast, if you know what I mean, in the nicest way possible. Yeah, and, and on top of that, on top of everything else, they're very polite. That's right. Yeah. Oh, they are going to have some intense meetings because of you. That's, right. <laughs> That's the only way you can interpret it. Like, the people mm. in Starfleet, like, they're a tiny, tiny minority. Like, mm. And it's not clear that most people want to go into Starfleet. You see it with Wesley Crusher, by the way, because he feels like that he has to go and he has to be like his daddy, mm. like because he's the only one who has daddy issues. Most of them, you know, like how daddy issues are like, it's the fuel of every TV show and every mm. superhero movie and all that. The only person who has daddy issues is Wesley Crusher. And in the end, he's like, yeah, screw that. Yeah. He, he, I'm not going to uh, do it. Yeah. He, oh, oh, Starfleet or become a minor deity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know <laughs> I get very frustrated in in our own society when people talk about money and it's the only you go that's an extrinsic factor and there are intrinsic mm. factors and even where I work I have to do I'm doing a performance review right now for my job a yearly performance review you could say it's box ticking to a degree but one part I do like it says think of the last year what did you do well what did you do badly and mm. it's not to punish you it's it's so you can focus on what you want to do and what yeah. are you proud of that's the new question what are you proud oh. of and that's intrinsic stuff I'm like, oh, okay what am I proud of and you go that's an interesting question for my work and so I do yeah. get paid because I have to survive in this world but oh. but they are definitely pushing the idea of you should be here for more than cash. Yes, that cash is the thing that we're all here for. But yeah. it's become something very fashionable in corporations these days, being meaningful. Mm. And it's true you see that because a lot of people are quitting their jobs after in the wake of the pandemic. Because mm -hmm. it's like suddenly, you know, you have like this worldwide calamity that 
befalls mm. everybody and you're forced to sit at home and think and then you're like maybe i'm dead in in the next year and <laughs> the powers that be did not want us sitting at home and thinking they really no. didn't they really oh, they, no, 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 <laughs> they no. want they want you so tired well i sound i sound very much comrade right now but they want you so tired that all you do is consume sleep and then bugger off that's all that's all they want out of you <laughs> but that fits into our discussion because that's very much what Herbert Marcuse was talking about in One Dimensional Man mm. in 1962, that we live surrounded by false choices and by forced consumption, and we do not have control over even our sleep because our sleep cycles are determined by when we go to work. Mm-hmm. We are not free in that sense. We are not free in the intrinsic sense. In Star Trek, they're free. They're really Except they free. do have shift they, they they can be late for their shift because it's a ship and it's a mili- paramilitary organization in a way mm. so they they don't have a choice these are people who consented to be there and trained to be there and mm. and they're a little cuckoo you know me i really like risa i don't know if you yes 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 the brothel planet yes i really <laughs> like that the pl- yes yeah, the- i mean it's it's problematic in so many ways okay not to mention the Pacific Island thing. Like, it's, it's very problematic in that sense. Mm. But the mm. notion that you would spend your life, you know, enjoying all the pleasures, the sensuous pleasures that, you know, food and sex and love and whatnot. Like, why not? Uh, I just feel bad for O'Brien because every time Riker comes back, he's the one who's got to clean out the teleport filter. <laughs> uh, yeah, the martyrdom of Chief O'Brien is very funny. Like, it, it's he's like he's the whipping boy throughout. It's very funny. Yes, and you know he's like this Irish working man essentially. Yeah. So. so the thing that makes Star Trek have no money is like in the original series they had synthesizers and yes. in the next generation they have replicators yes so what happens to a civilization that was based on finance when these devices become the norm so i mentioned that in passing in the book the replicator is invented by some pulp sci-fi writers and he tells the story of how some people invent a replicator that replicates gold and suddenly the price of everything crashes you see that there's a slight mention of that in Voyager in one of the early episodes where there are some aliens who try to get the replicator technology and Janeway says they're not ready. The replicator will destroy their society. They're like, oh, wow. They start using it. It's a slight mention like that. So, so was that a prime directive thing or was that just a... No, but I mean, you know, they're in the... Delta Quadrant, I think. Mm. So, you know, like they're lost out there. And mm. maybe it's a prime directive thing. It's more like, let's get the hell out of here thing. Mm. Um, right. they're, tr- they're trying to get, <laughs> they get thrown across the other side of the galaxy into the Delta yeah. Quadrant and they are making their way home. And it's going to take 30 something years to get home. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 and Jane Wake kills Tuvix. And that's also another. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 then, and, then, and, then she, and then she has sex with her pilot when they're both lizards. But we don't talk about that. That's fine. No, no, no. no. Voyagers. But, but the, the, the larger point behind this is replicators are extremely dangerous. Mm. And what you see is two things. And you see that in Deep Space Nine. So the Ferengis, they use replicators. Mm. But they mm. use them as essentially ATM machines and as a way to keep the wages of their workers down. Because the replicator will make anything on demand and they will make you pay for it. Whereas mm. the Federation, they have the replicators and they don't make you pay for its usage. Mm. So there's, also, a, there's a political in, choice there. Mm. So the Ferengi have to pay to use a replicator? No, the customers of the Ferengis yeah. have to pay to use the customer. But like the Ferengis nominally, like on Deep Space Nine, they're right. nominally renting, but the Federation gives it away. With the Ferengi, they've discovered something the replicators can't replicate called gold press latinum. And yes. you, you can't make that. So they create a yes. currency based on yes. this scarce object that you have to mine yes. or build or whatever. I don't know yeah. where that comes from. It's very funny because so there's this scarce commodity that has to be mined, like the mines of latinum and whatever. Mm. And it's like we're in the gold standard again. Mm. You know, it's like like the Ferengis, you'd think they'd be smart enough to get fiat money, go- mm. money going because, you know, then you can regulate. Oh, now, nowadays, but, the, the, the Ferengi, would, would, the whole civilization would run on NFTs. Oh, you know, if they wrote it oh, now, of course, it would be blockchain yes. and crypto and NFTs. That's a whole different thing. I love the fact that with, with Gold Press Latin and when they introduce it, as you said, to bring back the gold standard for 
for one race, the Federation doesn't instantly fall into it. The Federation's like, no, we're good. Value doesn't actually exist. Value is what you value something at. So it's it's a social relationship. Exactly. Mm. And so you don't if you Federation looks at Gold Press Latinum and goes I don't care. Then it's and worthless. We don't care. And the, but the Frankie are like, no, no, this matters. Yeah, but it matters to them, and it becomes a cultural thing. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the idea that there's no money is a function, and so you can explain it with economics a little bit. It's like when the price of everything has converged to essentially zero because you have a replicator, then the role of money, which is to set prices. I mean, the role of money is not to set prices, but you set prices. The pricing mechanism it uses currency as its medium, essentially. But the pricing mechanism, meaning there's too little of it there and there's too much of it there. Mm. And we have to find a mutually agreeable value for exchange to take, to take place. So the pricing mechanism is, in fact, you have to think about it as a spontaneous way to organize society and to organize the flow of scarce resources in society. That is the entire point of economics, not the science, not the discipline, but the actual practice and everyday practice of economics is mm. to allocate scarce goods. Well, can I bring up a scarce good? One scarce yes. good seems to be the enterprise, which is the flagship yes. of the fleet. And you'd think that they could just yes. pull into existence as many as those as they wanted. So can't they just make a giant yeah. replicator that can replicate starships? And if not, what are the limitations? They, they have, they have industri- what they call they mention what they call industrial replicators several times. So there's definitely oh, wow. a way they make the parts and they assemble them. And the way they ramp up ship production in Deep Space Nine to go to war is pretty impressive. I think their limit really is the number of people who want to enlist. Oh. Um, right, and, and which yes, is you've got to have pilots. Just one person per ship. They could staff it with holograms. You see that later in mm. Voyager, by the way. Like, in all likelihood, they could pretty much pump out anything they want. And nothing has a price. Mm. Nothing has a price. The, the limitations that go into, you know, we have to make decisions on how many ships we make versus how many hospitals we build. Like, the kind of, you know, defense or health or education. Like, this has no meaning in that society because the price of everything has converged to zero. I don't think they have to put matter into their replicators to make stuff. I think it can just be taken from energy. So you need energy equals MC squared. It's not about the technology. Nobody cares. It's, it's moot. Sure. We're never going to go to warp nine we're never mm. going to colonize space it's not going to mm. happen this is moot it doesn't matter you're breaking my heart you're breaking my heart man you're breaking no. my heart <laughs> okay fair enough we'll move on what's wrong with earth what's wrong with earth <laughs> yes oh, too many trees most of my friends are here I, I keep all my stuff here but i like earth but i like i like you on holidays too so you know i like where i live but i was <laughs> anyway look, 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 it, this is a different that's a different question I'm, I'm actually writing a book right now about why we will never go to space but that's another oh my <laughs> god <laughs> Man, is, 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 is it called Stab Gregoire in the heart. Is that what you're going to call it? Is that, is that, is like... no, no, it's it's actually very hopeful. It's 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 actually very oh, hopeful. Okay. Like there's something very beautiful about staying on Earth. I look forward to reading it and sobbing my way through it. <laughs> so this post scarcity culture, how would it address things that have a intrinsic original form? Like if I replicate the Mona Lisa, then I have the Mona Lisa, and you have an identical copy of the Mona Lisa. Mm. Yes, but like we live in that society already, by the way. Mm. (laughs) Getting And like, to be fair. So the way we address it is we overinvest reverence in the original artifacts. And we have a lot of archaeologists. That's why they're obsessed with archaeology in that society. Because Picard is like, is an amateur archaeologist. It's because since everything is replicable, the original begets an aura that the replicated doesn't have. So it's not like a selfless interest in history. This is Picard's way of pimping out his office. This is like filling it up with like <laughs> gold knickknacks and stuff. He's like, see this shit? It's Can't replicate that. That's original. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, the ship can replicate it, but the replicated part is not the original. And the original has an aura that the replicated part doesn't have, or that the replicated object doesn't have. There's a mystique 
of the original. And, and that extends not only to old objects, but to food. So not replicated food in a restaurant yeah. in New Orleans mm. has more soul than the replicated stuff mm. because precisely it is made with hands and there is labor and human art put into it. And so there's an, in the Star Trek society, there's this overinvestment and overvaluing symbolically of human craft. They're all like Brooklyn hipsters, essentially. Uh, and, <laughs> and that's authenticity is really valued. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. So that you'd have replicator scotch and then you'd have like real scotch. Yes. That had been like that's drank. that's the but then yes. How do yes. you how do you ration that out then? Take Picard's wine, for instance. Like they don't make enough, and wine is a well known luxury commodity, mm. right? So how do you understand your relationship to luxury in a world where nothing has monetary value? Mm. So mm. You have to think about it this way. There are so many other people who make tremendous wines. And so if you can't get your allocation of six bottles of Chateau Picard, Chateau Picard, pardon. Um, <laughs> if you can't get your allocation, there's always an next guy who will make an equally interesting and bizarre and authentic wine. And you might be able to get an allocation for that. There's an economics term for it, and technical term is non-local satiation, I think. So it's the concept that if a basket of goods can be replaced easily by another basket of goods of equal quality or equal value, then mm. people are satiated. That's what's going on here, is this year you won't get your Chateau Picard, but next year maybe, and if not, you know, there's always like but the Klingon blood wine from whatnot. There's so much it, of it. That's what it is. If yeah, there are seven yeah. people who all desperately want Picard wine, then that means that there is a scarcity still. It and has incredible value. Uh, yeah, that's yes. my point. that was my thinking, Dan. It, Picard can use that. If Chateau, everyone wants Chateau Wire, I can mm. use that to get stuff that I'm... Or, uh, unlike Manu, I want to go to space so I can get onto a spaceship that maybe <laughs> I couldn't get to before because I can give the captain six bottles of Chateau Wire. Um, and, and he's like, oh, I love so that. Thank you very much. Come with me. Are, so you have to understand the incentives involved in that kind of behavior under zero dollar or, or zero net value, zero monetary value. So what are the incentives? The way I try to understand it, and you know, I talk about it in the book a little bit, is precisely this local non-satiation is worse come to worse, nobody's going to go to war or is going to bid up for something because there are so many other options. There is no incentive to go full on crazy about this particular wine that has this particular, you know, vintage. Right. And therefore also Picard himself, who makes Chateau Picard, he not, doesn't necessarily have any incentives to pimp out his very expensive <laughs> and unique wine because then he would get, you know, maybe he could barter for something else, but what could he barter then? Like, what kind of value mm. could he extract from the value he gained? Because this is a non-monetary society and most people are not interested in mm. bartering for goods that they can readily have. So there's the incentives are not aligned to actually make these situations happen. I suspect, however, if you wanted to sort of like make it work as, it, as such as it is, <laughs> they would just draw it seems to be the, the most efficient way to allocate you just draw uh mm. and uh, in the worst case but you never see like they never went that deep in discussing this most of the mm. time it's like and you see that on deep space nine they're like yeah we're we're not into monetary value and they sort of like shrug you know so mm. like eh, too bad i was just thinking about my point of view with that for me it'd be emotional value or sounds like a sociopath way of saying friendship if <laughs> if if i was somewhere in that world and my friend picard turns up and he's like oh gregoire i've not seen you for many years oh, here nice. have this bottle of wine i i would go oh wow thank you and i and he, he's my friend and that's how you build friendships your labor is scarce my, your skill is scarce and I, and I would say, oh, I've created this bespoke podcast for you. <laughs> and he'd go, oh, I'm not that excited by that. And he's sort of <laughs> nice, that, nice, and, nice. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It's a bit Sean Connery, but I'm, I'm getting there. And <laughs> it's the interpersonal or the the emotional exchange yeah. of building social relationships because because we're monkeys who love to be with each other, yeah. or we're apes who like to be with each and, other. And we do things so, not necessarily. Most of the times, most of the things we do in our lives, when you think about it, we don't do them for money, anyways. 
Mm. And people totally forget that, you know? Like this podcast. Hey, Dan. No, right? Hey, hey yeah. Dan. No, no, but like, <laughs> uh, you can sign up to become a patron at our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, we do it out of pleasure, out of, mm. out of desire to be recognized by others. Mm. to exist ideology maybe as well some people do things for ideological reasons yes that that may be so i personally love the idea that i write silly things and thousands of people read it and then i get into conversations and i make friends from all over the world and that's kind of cool no i mean seriously like that that's the main benefit ultimately of doing that was essentially to make a lot of friends and it turned out it was a good idea because with the pandemic we ended up all in front of our computers Sort of like, you know, so like a lot of the work we actually perform in our lives is not remunerative and the care work and the love Mm. and, you know, raising children and things like that. So Mm. people tell me, oh, but it's not possible. Like you need money to, you know, flog people into, you know, (laughs) sort of like get up their asses. That's not true. Actually, people, Mm. even in our highly capitalist society, most people, they want to do stuff that is not the object of market transactions and they find more. Or meaning mm. in these things, usually, like your, your social clubs, your hangouts, writing, mm. making podcasts, something like that. They find much more meaning in that than their day jobs. Even in work, if you work in an office environment, it's been shown to you, like they're talking now about pushing things to four day weeks, but keeping the same number of mm. hours. So longer days and everyone's working. Some people really like it. Some people don't. There's a whole thing yeah. there. But what some people don't like about it is the rush, rush, rush. Cause they say, I go to work. And I work, but I also like the cooler talk. I like the lunchtime talk. I like talking to my office mates. These are people, these are adults that I get to talk to. I might not get to talk to anyone because I've got kids at home or whatever. You, you work eight hours a day, 10 you hours don't. a day in your office job, but, but you don't, yeah. you don't. Even the people like, Oh, I definitely do. You, you don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, listener. But, but, you but don't. This is, and, this is and, not America. In America, everybody works really hard. And uh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> But that's where Star Trek gets really, uh, I find it very thoughtful in a way. And, you know, it really mm. got to my head because what it says is that the motivation for work and the motivation for mm. being in the world is not necessarily alienated work. It can be work. It's still work. The enterprise is work, but it's not work for a boss. Mm. It's work for a higher purpose. It's work for justice mm. and it's work for discovery. And I guess on a personal level, self-satisfaction. Yeah, but yeah, but I, I think the self-satisfaction derives from mm. having deeply internalized these values of discovery and justice. Imagine this. If you are born in the Star Trek universe, you're born having won the lottery, and everybody mm. around you mm. has won the lottery as well. <laughs> Try to imagine this. Try to put that into your head. Yeah. Nobody has any kind of material challenge. So you need to internalize mm. values that are very strong to not be unmoored. And to actually make your mark in the world in a way that benefits every other. And Mm. discovery is really knowledge, but also art are really what make life meaningful. The work, and you know, even if you fail, it doesn't matter. This is what makes life meaningful in the Star Trek universe. This is also what makes life meaningful in our world. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. And so when you look at it, modern industrial societies have achieved a level of social wealth and comfort that even though they're maldistributed, the distribution of wealth is not, should I say, just. <laughs> it, it is nonetheless a fact that compared to 200 years ago, mm. the, the wealth that has been extracted from other people, that's, let's, let's, a lot of that wealth comes from the extraction and colonialism and all that. But the end result is we live in a world where one of the main diseases is metabolic syndrome because people <laughs> overeat. This, this has never mm. happened in the history of mankind, of humankind. So we already live in Star Trek in some ways, besides the (laughs) the bad distribution of wealth. But it is incumbent Mm. upon us to actually think through what that means. It means that in general, Mm. we have everything we need. We want other things because usually we see, so it's called Veblen goods, Thorsten Veblen, sociologist. So the notion of conspicuous consumption, Mm. you signify and signal your status and your comparatively higher social status to your peers by consuming goods and by buying luxuries, all right? This is what you do in this world where 
you're essentially contented and you will live to 80 years old, you spend your cash or your money or your wealth trying to show other people that you are wealthier than they are. And it's no. sort of, no, no, but like it's sort of a, a competition for mm. goods and for status that has mm. very little meaning outside of itself. Mm. And in some in the future, yeah, that will be replaced by having a number of pips on your. Exactly. Oh. Like, <laughs> what, what matters really in the Star Trek universe is the prestige of your accomplishments. So, mm. in a way, it resembles academia. The letters at the end of your name. Yeah, but you know, like, it's yeah. the dick measuring. I am full professor of this or that, and I got this and that mm. scholarship, and, you know, like, the recognition of your peers. Mm. And the prestige. And the quality of your work in the world. So mm. so that exists. Because in history, you, you can see that a lot of the future is already taking place and taking shape in the present. So that economy of prestige is already very much entrenched mm. in our current world. And think about it this way. If you're Mark Zuckerberg, if you're Jeff Bezos and all that, sure, you can buy yourself yachts and properties and all that, but you have so much money that what are you going to use it for, you know? Yeah. Mm. Well, to destroy the world. Yeah, yeah uh, sure, but yeah, some but people... You, you, know, you know what Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk can't buy? My respect. There you go. Exactly. They might be able to rent. They, they might be able to rent it for yeah, a while. They can buy but, my uh, respect. I am. I go real cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, so, you know, it must be very complicated because when you have everything, then what's the point? So they're usually mm. like in in these re- yeah. in these <laughs> their life must be hell. No, no, but like in these rarefied spheres, really, what matters is like what your peers are doing, and you're always competing, and mm. there's always the threat of being overtaken by wealthier than you. Oh, my rocket went 100 kilometers up. Well, mine went suborbital. No, oh, no, my no, goodness. It's, it's like, you, like when Musk was like, oh, yeah, but that's not going to space, you know? It's like, space, it's yeah, like yeah. take that, yeah. you know? It's, yeah. So it becomes like, it becomes almost yeah. regressive. It's like schoolyard. And mm. I don't envy mm-hmm. them in any ways. I have everything I need. I don't need more. <laughs> I only want to be able to not die of COVID and enjoy my kid. <laughs> no, I mean, I... That's, I'm going to go on a limb here, Manu, and say that's because you're not a sociopath. <laughs> that... Well, yeah, no, no. This I mean, is... I've worked hard not to become a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Look, that should, that should be something we teach in every school and university. But anyway, I digress. No, but it's I true digress. So that society encourages this mindless race for signaling your position like social media encourages this in, in many ways mm. influences yeah and the dick swinging that goes mm. with it you know i mean it's it's very mm. aggressive facebook was built mm. on this very idea of mimetic uh, mimetism you know so it's this philosophical mm. concept that says you know you always spend your lives comparing yourself to others so you're using that part of human behavior to crank it up to the max and sell a lot of ads because you love to go on Facebook and watch all your friends be not as good as you are or hate them for making more money or going on vacation and yeah. things like that. There's a, there's, yeah, wow, it's really hard. It's my personal journey here. But Greg's was personal journey. But is what, what I've tried to do in the past is be happy for my friend's success. And that sounds like a really – when I say that, you oh, Greg, you're a sociopath. And maybe rightly so. But it, there was a period of time, and I only speak for myself, when my friend's successes was irritating to me, that their success was becoming something that was upsetting because I wasn't succeeding until I realized I was in my own areas. And that's been something that I've been going, oh, I'm really happy that Dan's just written a book and I'm really excited. Excited that Dan's written. I've not written a book, but in the past, I might have gone bloody Turner's book. Now I'm like, oh my god, that's so exciting! Everyone, that book will be out hopefully one day, and you can all buy it and make Dan <laughs> nice. wealthy. It's almost as you we are trained by social media that we should dislike people that we like because they're succeeding, and that's really messed up. And, that's not right. And it's also when you, when you compare that. I mean, in Star Trek, in a way, you know, like there's there are objective metrics by which I mean, which is hard. I think you know the the Star Trek world on that on that. Camp, is much harsher it's much more like academia you know like and and not just any academia like physics or math where you know what the rankings are mm-hmm. like like they say in math you know who the top 20 guys are and that's it and you know they mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. over time because also you know in math it seems that by the time you're 30 you're done <laughs> no i mean it's terrible and mm-hmm. so, so there's something very harsh because some people don't make the cut 
Mm. So, and especially in Star Trek, you're not allowed to genetically engineer people no. to be better. You, they've got to be pre. They've got to be pure born human. They're and so, if, you, if you're an average human, if you well, yeah, we, shh, 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 don't get, shh. We, um, if if you're an average human, which you're going to be on the bell curve because that's what average yeah. means, then you really would be like, oh, I'm never going to, on average. You're never going to be the captain of the Enterprise. You're never going to be the person everyone lords as the savior of everyone. So, so what matters? Average human. So what matters really is that the solve for being average is that your life is incredibly rich already mm. and and so mm. right the opportunities provided by society and the way society function make it so that the average is extremely good and that people yeah. and extremely exciting but not exciting in ways like i'm gonna go around the galaxy shooting people but exciting in a way that you know meaning fulfilling exciting in a way that doesn't involve a battle going through exactly your body yes yeah, yeah, or honor or something like that could i suggest that they also value things very differently to us so yeah. if i had a if I, i'm an average human being or i play one on television anyway if i have an average life and Picard came into my life, he wouldn't denigrate that. He would say, Oh my goodness, I love your home. And I love, you, I love your children. And you would be sincere about it. Cause he, yes, yes, he, I'm going to say that it's unlike academia where they're jostling yeah. for position. He wouldn't, we're not in competition no. with each other. He would go, I love this, this couch you replicated. You've chosen but a great color that goes with you your made, eyes or you whatever. Made a big point here. In fact, that mm. competition proceeds from a certain organization of incentives in society. If you change mm -hmm. that, the necessity for competition is removed. You mm -hmm. don't need to compete anymore for jobs or for food or for status. So there's that. Mm -hmm. So people, like one of the objections is, oh yeah, but if you don't have competition, you don't have innovation anymore. And that is uh, completely untrue because... There has been innovation way long before capitalism <laughs> ever graced the face of the planet. And even mm -hmm. inside the past 200 years of industrial capitalism, the most important innovations were actually not done out of uh, desire for money. And Look I, at the open source community. No, I'm talking mm -hmm. like the nuclear bomb. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, yes. like the, you yeah. know, the nuclear bomb yeah. is the most important thing of the 20th century. And this was never a matter of who would make the most money out of it. Thank God, because otherwise we would have so many. <laughs> um, because the problem mm. is making bombs is easy now. So mm -hmm. it's open source is one, but Wikipedia, the World Wide Web, mm. the the okay, the nuclear bomb, pet, GPS. GPS. I I talk at length about GPS in the. Oh. <laughs> intraconomics because it's oh, yeah, yeah. It, it is an example of public good so a public mm. good being a good that is non-rival and non-excludable meaning my using it doesn't prevent you or any other from using it so mm. it's abundance by nature and non-excludable nobody can put a toll on its usage and make it into mm. some, a, something that would be paid for hire or paid to use so the air we breathe is actually a public good. Mm. Water, to an extent, is the ocean. The GPS is... So there are, you know, non-technological mm. public goods and there are technological public goods. In society that tries to create and develop and manufacture technological public goods, say vaccines, mm. right now they're patented and all that stuff, but in the long run, you want these things to be public goods. That is, they, you want them mm. to be widely available at no cost to everybody because it benefits everybody. Um, mm -hmm. So imagine a society, and so that's Star Trek, but I'm saying there are parts of our world already today that function along those lines where the incentives of the market and the price mechanism that goes with the market and the scarcity that goes with the market are no longer operating. Yeah, I was just sort of another one. John O'Sullivan, he is the reason we have Wi-Fi. Hmm. He he didn't patent no. it, and so yes, it, it's owned by the CSIRO, yeah. the, the Australian federal Sci government science. He would make he would be a billionaire. You, you, you want to know it. another one like that? LaTeX, scientific notation language and mm -hmm. fonts. So it was invented by a mathematician, uh, Knuth, who's also like the godfather of computer science. If he had patented it, this is what led to PDFs. If he had patented it, he'd be a multi-billionaire. But he's yeah. Ronald Knuth. So he's, yes. like the, yes. he's one of the most well-known computer scientists in the world. And he's, mm. like, he's one of the greatest men that nobody knows about. Mm. 
and he lives on his pension from being a prof at Stanford for 50 years, and he's perfectly happy. He has his metaphorical four pips. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, more than four, right? He's, a, he's an admiral, <laughs> man. He's like, <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, so it's, it's like, he, he really is. This has been a wonderfully illuminating conversation, but I still have one question left. And it's an important one. This thing drives me nuts in Star Trek. Riker's poker games. They always play them like the stakes are really high. And sometimes people are really timid with their chips and people are often folding. But there's no money. What is the buy-in in Riker's poker games? This is beautiful because it's very important. What happens is they're playing. So they're doing it as if it were money. But it's the person who bluffs the best that takes the whole pot. So the point of the money here is play with these sort of weird antiquated ways. You know, it, right. it, it has become the past. It has become this playful thing. It, you're no longer going to lose your house or your, or your wife's gonna, not going to yell at you if you lose it all while gambling. <laughs> you know, it has been deactivated almost as a source of anguish. And excitement. It's child's play. It's beautiful. And that's it, why they, so it, they come back to the poker game so often, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like going to the fair and going to, like, the fake duck hunt with the little metal ducks that you yeah. use an air rifle to go bing, bing. Oh, it's not yeah, really don't, you get like, don't, don't you get, like, little fluffies or something like that when you... When yeah. You, yeah. Well, I, you, I just assume that there must be some sort of forfeit in the poker game. And because <laughs> it's Rikers, I'm going to assume it's sexual in nature. <laughs> it's... No... Oh come on! Like I, I think they're extremely ethical. These people, like they're un- impossibly ethical. Didn't Riker is that? a sex pest, and no one will be able to convince me otherwise. <laughs> Have you seen how that man sits on a chair? That's definitely there's something going <laughs> oh, yeah, on there. Like the, the when he lifts his leg, oh, yeah. it's such a power move. It's leg. such a power yeah, move. Yeah, yeah. It's such a. It's like a dog peeing on, the, on so, a post. So you know that piece of trivia. <laughs> you know the the piece of trivia was. I don't know if you saw the original movie. So the one that came out in 1978. Oh, the yep. the Vija one. So. Yes. Yep. It, spoilers. Spoilers. No, 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 like, movie there. Sorry. It, um, <laughs> Shatner, bless yeah. his soul. Shatner has a number one, and the number one in the original movie is called Decker. Okay, and it's like this young, mm-hmm. strapping young guy and all that. And so when they did Next Generation, like the first season, it's basically shows that had been written for Shatner and all the other guys, and there was going to be a Decker in it. And so they didn't want to pay money to the actor by using the name of his character, so they renamed it Riker. (laughs) But the other thing that where where they were wise enough to do that is it turned out the actor who played Decker was embroiled for several years in child molestation Oh no! Crimes. Ooh. Uh, he went to Riser Beta. Uh, God. Uh, and then, and then, and then, and then, oddly, and then oddly, he would have gone to Riker. So that's no, uh, that would be that's a, why, that, that's a, but that's why you know, like they, they, they sort of like erased him from the canon. Mm, thank goodness. The reason for Riker, the first 10, 15 episodes, I think, were written. It was going to be called the next stage, I think, or something like that, and it was for the original mm. cast. Then Roddenberry, there were a lot of corporate this and that. And so he was barred from ever touching the movies ever again because he almost killed the franchise with the original, (laughs) the motion picture, the first one. So then he was relegated to TV, could only do TV. So he reused the already written episodes and rewrote them a little bit and pushed them like 200 years in advance. And by the way, for the replicator thing, and that's where it gets interesting. When you look at the series, the replicator is absolutely not a plot device of any kind, except for one episode, I think. The replicator is just there. It doesn't serve any Mm. purpose. There could be a guy bringing tea to Picard. But (laughs) they show it precisely to demonstrate that the only purpose it serves in the narrative is to demonstrate that this is a society where there is no longer work. That is the only reason why it's there. Well, thank you, Manu Sadia. Thank you for having me. Ironically, you have given me everything I have ever wanted (laughs) from this interview. (laughs) You could buy Manu's book, Trekonomics, The Economics of Star Trek, at all places where books are found. We'll put a link in the show notes. 
definitely, everyone should definitely read it. Thank uh, you. It's, I've read it. I have actually read it. I've read it for a few years ago. I was very excited to have this interview. Uh, it's worth a read. If you love Star Trek or if you like economics, definitely have a read. Uh, thank, thank you, you so much, Manu. Thank you very much. I hope everybody's fine over there. And um, oh, we're all great. Everything's great. Live long and prosper, guys. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry, what does that mean? I've never not heard that before. <laughs> Big thank you to Manu for again for spending some time. I've got a new best friend. It's the best. I know. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> oh, oh, look. As long as you're happy for me. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> you have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, sometimes when Dan lets me, Greg at smartenough.org. Oh, look, I think you had plenty of time to chat during the interview. <laughs> <laughs> that was weeks ago. doesn't count. If you would like to support us, please do tell people about us. Write reviews wherever you can write reviews. And go to our website to interact with other people or click any of the buttons. Yeah. We sold a shirt. I was very excited. <laughs> Has it been a while? It's been a while, Dan. I think they buy them when they wear out. Maybe we, we need more designs up there. Maybe we do. That's true. We only have two, but they're excellent designs. One by Michael Fitzhugh and one by you. It's lovely. But they're old and busted now. They, they're they old are. and busted. We, we need cool. new and... What's the thing in Men in Black? New hotness. New and... We need a new, new hotness. hotness. There, we there you go. Hotness. We need new we need something, hotness. We need something like Bitcoin related, NFT related. We, oh, we should make an NFT of a t-shirt. Oh, by the way, anyway, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a total Ponzi scheme. If you're involved in it, it's a Ponzi scheme. You're either ripping people off or you're being ripped off. Welcome. Welcome to Web.3. I'm, no, I'm just pointing this out because everyone gets lost in the minutia. It's a goddamn Ponzi scheme. You can make money on Ponzi schemes. There's an amazing YouTube channel uh, called Folding Ideas. So mm. I will put a link to that in the show notes. It's an hour and a half long uh, talk about NFTs and mm. every aspect of them. And it's perfect. Excellent. All right. If you want to support us financially, there are many ways to do that. One of them is to submit yourself. Submit yourself submit to yourself. the Patreon. That's, that's, submit yourself to the Patreon immediately. <laughs> wow. The Patreon then sounds like this large robot. <laughs> it's just like, submit yourself to the Patreon. I mean, uh, the comedy blimp's got AI now. Did I not tell you about that? What? Yeah, it's just AI. It's good. It's just to help with navigation and stuff. Oh. Okay, so a big thank you to our mid-tier patrons, Matthew Toy, Gronya Maguire, Andrew Potts, Christopher Revel, Dill Holland, Matt Ewers, Elizabeth Yunkin, Britta Rogowski, Lindsay Jenkinson, Andrew Whitehurst, A.B. Greenbury, Ivan, and Alana Mitchell. Thank you all so much for being a patron. That makes sense now, actually about the AI thing, because I, I thought it was you. I was having a shower, and I heard someone go, nice ass," And I was like, oh, thanks, Dan. And then you weren't there. And I was like, that's weird. I haven't seen your ass in years. You're over in Perth. <laughs> Ironically, in the ass end of Australia. Excuse me. Thank, excuse me. Excuse, how, how dare you? I'm- if you <laughs> submit... I'm... Oh God, I've become such a Western Australia. I'm actually incensed. <laughs> if you submit... To the top tier level of the Patreon, you get to be insulted by me. (laughs) Why would you do that? Why? What's wrong with you? Get help. Number one, because you forced me. No, not you. You know what? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the listener. All right. You be quiet. You there on the the screen. Be quiet. Patreons. Yeah, why why would you do this? You could be spending that money on getting, like, psychological help. We love you, by the way. Thank you. So, I don't love anyone because I haven't been (laughs) sleeping very well. (laughs) So all of my insults this month are based on not sleeping very well. Okay. Mikhail Kidar, you are the warm side of a pillow on a summer's night. Ooh, ah, oh, ah, oh, and oof, makes me angry. It's been 40 degrees Celsius here a lot recently. It's going to get there again this week. That just sucks. Yeah. Go. Oh. Steve Eichenhout, you are the burst of adrenaline at 1am, the collapse of dishes, the yell of a neighbour. It matters not how quickly it resolves. The adrenaline will remain. Mm, night terrors, baby. Mm. Steve Stewart, you are a dripping tap. Oh. Steve. 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 Ah, oh, there's an air conditioning unit outside that's been put in flat next to mine, and they've put a 
exit tube and it sticks out of the wall and it drops so it's like it's like 20 centimeters from the wall and it drops onto flat concrete outside my window i've had to put foam out there i look like a lunatic engineering a, a, a drop zone for water drops otherwise i will kill everyone that's that's the solution oh, <laughs> that's the solution is it <laughs> what the engineering or the killing everyone that's the solution <laughs> Tom Siri, you are the crushing sense of 3am ennui. What will I do when my loved ones die? Are my affairs in order? Here is shame from an act long past. What is this gentle discomfort? Is it cancer? What if it is cancer? Have I done everything I need to in life? Do I have any value at all? The night's plutonian shore washes over me and I crave its pull back into the void. It spits me back out and the cycle begins anew. <laughs> Thank you, Edgar Allan Poe. Good Lord. And finally, Sean Seekin. You are the dream of relief, followed by a warm and moist realisation. <laughs> oh. oh. And a big thank you to the girls of my dreams, Al Batson, Eric Wilson, <laughs> Michael Barnes, Morden O'Hare and Scott Driscoll. Oh. You can get along to the show's show notes at smartenough.org. There you will find a link to Folding Ideas' video about NFTs. You'll also find a link to Treconomics, the economics of Star Trek. I have read that book, and as I said in the interview, and it is worth a read. If you like Star Trek, if you like economics, definitely worth a read. And as we always like to say... Beam me up, Zlotty! me in contact with the guy that's still in project maven but and he's like oh i'm not going on record no 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 no. well no, originally that's... he went oh it sounds interesting and then he fell off and said my work has said no 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 no, no. nothing that can be used as evidence at nuremberg later <laughs> in the future <laughs> that's right robot nuremberg it's like that scene from the animatrix nuremberg ah, uh, you, you were huh? uh, very good and you're recording you got it you know, Manu is actually the one who coined the phrase "space Karen." Really? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were joking there, Dan. No, but no, no, okay. No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, like, like my kid, my kid is so proud of me because I have my page on Know Your Meme. Where does Space Karen comes from? And oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Okay, there you go. Well, uh, well I, I, I guess I, I am blocked. <laughs> I am blocked by Elon Musk. Oh, yes, well, well done. He's blocked a lot of people, so you know. I mean, I'm just, Space Karen blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. You've made some impact. Oh, That's good. God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope in the next couple of years I'll be able to come down to Australia and I have some people to visit. And so I will put you guys on the list as well. I will, oh, sure. I will replicate a lovely meal for you. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Let the humans run things because. They're real scary. They work out a way to phase you out of existence. Like they, you know, like they are far too creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 yeah, humans seem to be the creative ones, and that's a idle hands of the devil's playthings. So keep them, keep them running the federation, and they're not likely to get some weird ideas. It's funny in fiction how we can visualize creatures that are smarter than us, and we can mm. visualize creatures that are stronger than us. If it, if it feels right that. A, that humans would be the most creative ones because mm. we're as creative as we can be imagining that how creative we could be. We could only imagine them being more creative than us if we were more creative to be able to imagine them being more creative than us. Yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't fake creativity better than the creativity that we don't fake, I think is what you're saying. We can fake inte- intellectualism smarter than us because we can say they created warp drives. We don't know how they did that because it's impossible for us to do it, but we can, yeah. but we can think about it. Yeah. But we can't say, I made a floopity boop, which I, I made a pl- plum bob from, maybe a plum bob from, from Rick and Morty. And you're like, why, who cares? But that's more creative. In, mm. Except something- that we, 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 we- we invented that. Like humans yes. have to yes. imagine but, the things that are being imagined. Yes. So, so we're like, oh, we must be the most imaginative creatures in the universe because mm. we can't even imagine what we can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking of the Alan Dean Foster story where we're the we're the combat monsters of the universe. We can imagine that, of course, because we just go imagine if humans were the strongest and toughest warriors and that mm. was a turnaround on that concept of course we can think of that that's just yeah so could you imagine but we can more... also imagine creatures that are stronger yeah you could say a creature is more creative you could do it 
But their creativity would you, be in a. You can't imagine a, what that would be. What I would do is I would I would say ah I have made a flern. And everyone, all the other races go, oh, my God, he created this, this amazing thing called the Flern. And, you're like, humans, and then you'd write, what is that? And you go, you can't possibly understand that. So you just black box it. You just push it away. Yeah, and you, you don't have to do that with intelligence or strength. No, you, you could, just you go, could say, oh, it's like that. Yeah, but then again, we can't. We can only do with intelligence what we what's on the on the the periphery of our science. So we can say, oh, we've worked out how to go through a black hole because that's something we can get. We we kind of understand black holes, but not really. We it's it's enough gray area. We can just say we can go through a black hole, and everyone goes uh, sure. But we can't say what we haven't even thought of yet. Like, um, for for example, fast radio bursts. Only the last fifteen years we, we even started detecting them. We only we're now working at what they are. We can now start writing stories about what a fast radio burst is in science fiction. It's an alien drive. It's it's a neutron star. Blah blah blah. But. 20 years ago, you would never have said fast radio burst because we didn't even know there was such a thing to talk about. Yeah. I think you could imagine a smarter being than us because you imagine something that we can't do and then you imagine them being successful at it. Yes. But yes. You can't imagine things that you can't imagine. Yes. Yes. So, yes, it has to be a black box, in which, which is much less satisfying. Yes. That, yeah. And, and doesn't and, feel right, which is why, why when you say, oh, well, Humans are, are not the strongest or the smartest, but they're the most creative. Where all of us are like, yeah, it checks out. That we can, yeah, we can, yeah, we, we've never, we've never had a creature that was more creative than us. Yeah. I can't even, how- yeah, I can't imagine anything that I can't imagine. <laughs> so there mustn't be anything that I can't imagine. And you're not saying I can't, I can't imagine it. It's not like, oh, I, it's, you're, what, you literally can't imagine it. Yeah. You're like, I can't think of what I can't think of, what I'm not creative yeah. enough to think of. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if that's just a lack of our creativity. I'd love could could the listeners create? Is it possible? I, I want to know now. I want, oh, so I want, you want a hive creativity? Oh, Imagine no, the just, paintings that the Borg could do. Yes, and maybe that's a thing. Well, that's they do take the intellectual and physical distinction upon themselves. You only see it as murder and fire and lasers at people, but surely there must be. Your but, if your distinctive creative trait is art maybe they wouldn't care about art maybe they wouldn't assimilate you but they just destroy you but could we go out there and ask people to come up with a way of of how would you fictionally write a race of people aliens who are more creative than humans how would you write that in a satisfying narrative way i'll stick it after the credits we'll send it out to the oh yeah if anyone can do it the smarties can they can definitely Oh work. look, I'm, I'm in the same bottle. The bottle? Bottle, same boat. Like a little, we're a little ship. We're a little ship in a bottle. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the bottom of a bottle <laughs> where, I, where I live. I'm like, I've got to talk to someone about the economics of the Star Trek universe because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and so, and, and I'm like, looking through Twitter, going, "No, that guy's a right wing psychopath. No, that guy's a right." There's a lot psychopath. of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this guy's left leaning. Also a bit of a psychopath, but left leaning psychopath is what I'm after. So, all right.